So we've been talking about over the last few weeks uh, the idea of what it looks like to invest, not in maybe financially, but maybe that's part of it, uh, our resources, uh, though that's part of it, our time, though that has a lot to do with it, but investing in people because people are worth it. And the reason why we say that is because God says that, and God demonstrated that through his son, uh, Jesus. He demonstrated love. We get love from God, and therefore, because we get love from God, we should give love to others. That's how this thing called Christianity works best, is that we understand and we realize the love that God has given to us, and out of that gratitude and out of that appreciation for his love for us, we dispense that love to other people. Jesus said it uh, a couple different ways. One, he said that you should love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he said, in second commandment is like it, that you shall you should love your neighbor as you love, like you love yourself. So the way that you would want to be treated, you should treat other people. People know this golden rule. But Jesus then gave a platinum rule that's better than the golden rule. And he said that we should love one another, love each other the way that Jesus loved us. And that love is unconditional. That love is sacrificial. That's the kind of love that we ought to dispense to other people. And the last week we looked at how Jesus, uh, not only did he demonstrate love, but he felt compassion. Even when his disciples didn't feel compassion, he felt compassion for people because he saw through he saw through their, their circumstances. He didn't look at the people and go, oh, you know, they deserve, you know, they deserve this. They deserve to not be fed. You know, they, you know, they, they've made these poor decisions or these poor choices in their life. He, he saw through that, and the way that Jesus saw people was one of two ways. He either saw them um, found or he saw them lost. And that's really the eyes of God, and that's the way that we need to see people. We need to see people in, the, in those two ways. We either see them found by God or lost, and we need to show and feel that compassion for those, especially, especially to those who are lost, because they need to be found. Do you agree, Christian? Do you agree? They need to be found. And so, um, so we looked at, looked at that. And so this is the idea of what it looks like for us, people that we, you know, our everyday life, people that we do life with, people that we go to school with, people that we work with. We should put, demonstrate or exhibit this kind of love, feel this kind of compassion to others. So um, by way of uh, introing into this uh, portion of, uh, of the invest series. I'm going to share a story that happened to me this week. So I was, uh, um, it was Wednesday night. Um, I, we were, you know, just typical family stuff. Um, we uh, had to get ready to, to come to Awana. So we get all of the kids, you know, ready and out the door. And, and if you're a parent, especially a parent that goes to Awana, you know, the, you know, the, the stress of that. And so we're getting all the kids out the door and, and, uh, and I, I, I uh, realized I forgot something. So I dropped the kids off uh, at the, here at the church and, and ran back home. Uh, to get what I needed to get. And, and while I ran back home, I didn't have time to eat dinner that night. And so I, I decided I'm just going to grab you know, a quick granola bar. I don't, know you, I don't know about you, but I love these chewy uh, granola bars, specifically s'more-flavored, uh, uh, followed by peanut butter and chocolate chip. Is any, no, okay, all right, no amens yet. All right, all right, there we go, there we go. <laughs> yeah, right here. Now you're speaking my language. Um, 
So I just grab a quick granola bar, and I'm, you know, eating it in the car on the way, to, on the way back to the church. And so I get back to the church, and, and, uh, and I, uh, my, my wife says, texts me while I'm heading back. She said, I forgot, you know, you, we forgot Andrew's Bible. Can you grab Andrew's Bible? So I grab Andrew's Bible, and I walk into the church, and then there was some of our couples that were waiting for their, their empower group to start, and so I'm chumming it up with them a little bit, and, and then I go downstairs, and, and, uh, and, I, and I'm handing uh, somebody uh, Andrew's Bible, which I forgot that Andrew isn't downstairs anymore. That was last year. Um, he's now upstairs, and so I hand Andrew's Bible to somebody and realize that he's not. So I don't know if anybody can relate to this, but I'm the same way, uh, and uh, so um, so then I'm, you know, talking with a number of people, and next thing I know, I, I'm like feeling something on my face. I'm feeling something on my face, and I'm like, as I'm having a conversation with people, I'm like feeling something on my face, and I'm like, and I'm like, and I kind of brush my face, and I felt this big chunk of granola bar <laughs> fly off my face, and I'm, and then I'm like thinking about all the people that I had conversation. <laughs> with that night that didn't even say a word about it. I was wondering why nobody could make eye contact with me. And we're like, yeah, yeah. Like, they're like, I'm thinking, recalling now conversations. And I'm like, they're like looking down, you know. Even my own wife was trying to, she was, she says, I was doing this. I was doing this. I'm like, somebody loved me enough to tell me that I'm walking around with a big chunk of granola bar on my face. I mean, has this ever happened to anybody else before? Like, you know, like you just sort of like wish that somebody would have just pulled you off to the side and said, hey, man, like you got food on your face. Like, like before you talk to anybody else, let's take care of this problem. Well, I think sometimes, and I get it, I get it, because you're sort of in this awkward, precarious situation where, you know, you don't really want to say, you're like, I don't know how to approach this, you know, I don't know what to, you know, like, hey, like right here, or, you know, in, in some cases, X, Y, Z, you know, like, I, I, I don't know how to, you know, broach this, this topic, so, so we're, you know, I, I get it, you know, I, I feel that, and so sometimes, though, it, it's important that we know some things about us that maybe we didn't know ourselves, don't you think? Don't you think that it's important for us to be told, like, and, and I don't know if you know this or not, but, uh, but it's, this is true for everybody. We all have blind spots. There's, a, there's a, an ideal that you have about you in your mind that might be different. I know this, I, 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 this might be shocking to you, that there might be a different idea on the other side of the table of what people think about you. Or what people may want to tell you and they don't know how to tell you because you're like, they don't know how you, you know, you're going to react. Or maybe they've tried to tell you things before and then you just sort of lost it and it just never really goes well. And you can't have that conversation and so you just decide just to let them be, let them do it and hopefully somebody else tells them. Well, I want to tell you something about us that you might not want to hear today. And I'm going to tell you because I love you, and I want to know, and I want to be challenged, and I want everybody, so I don't want to be, you know, somebody that identifies with this kind of thing, especially, especially 
if you're a Christian, especially if you're a Jesus follower, because I think the goal, and I, I know that it is, I, I, the goal for every Jesus follower is to want to be more like Jesus. Is this true? Do you want this for you? Do you want to be more like Jesus? Well, statistics tell us that we're not. Statistics tell us that we're failing at being Christ-like. And maybe you're an exception, but I wonder if there's something inside of every one of us that is hypocritical, self-righteous, judgmental. I think there is, if I'm honest. I think that Every one of us, including myself, has some granola bar on their face. And I love you enough to tell you, you got to knock it off right now. So Barna does some research. Uh, Barna research, they, they do a lot, a lot of research. Um, uh, David Kinnanem is the head of Barna Research. He wrote a book called Unchristian. Uh, we're, we ordered that book. It's going to be in our bookstore. You need to read that book. If you're a Christian, you need to know what non-Christian or unchristians, non-church, unbelievers, however you want to define that, it's all synonymous, however you want to define that, what they think about us, what they think about you. And so he did, a, he did some research and uh, they asked some different. Uh, they asked some different things. They made some different statements um, uh, to people and wanted to know where people fell, especially or, or, or Christians, where people, where Christians fell within some of these statements that they asked. And some were were, were more uh, like Pharisees. So they, they said, "Are you a Pharisee or are you more like Jesus?" And if you don't aren't familiar with what a Pharisee is, a Pharisee was a religious leader in the New Testament that Jesus really came down hard on. Jesus really judged them to a, a degree that I don't even know. Like you, you read the things that Jesus said about these Pharisees, uh, and, and it, was, it was hard stuff. I mean, he called them vipers. I mean, which is like, you know, like a, I don't know, it's a, an offensive word, especially back in the first century. You know, he said that they're like, they're like white sepulchers, which meant this, that they were, you know, they maybe looked nice on the outside. They presented themselves very well, but on the inside, they were like dead bones. Like these are the things that he's describing them at. He's describing them as burdens to people. I mean, wouldn't you hate if you were told that you're just a burden, you're just a burden. Like this is what Jesus said about them. You're, you're burdensome to people. He would say that you are like, you hold the key. You hold the key to the knowledge of God. But instead of opening the door for people to experience God, you lock it. That's what he said. He said instead of opening the door, you are one who, who locks the door on people experiencing God. So they, so they came up with Pharisees' action and attitude. These are not necessarily things that we say because Pharisees knew the right thing to say. Christians know the right thing to say. So it's not necessarily about what we say. It's about our actions and our attitudes. And so here's Pharisees' actions and attitudes. I try to avoid spending time with people who are not like me and have a different worldview. 
I prefer to serve friends and family rather than acquaintances and strangers. It's not my responsibility to help people who won't help themselves. Another Pharisee action or attitude, last one, I believe that we should stand against those who are opposed to Christian values. These are pharisaical, judgmental, hypocritical statements to Christians and they, they had to decide where they fell in that. And then they asked some other statements and of who um, are more like Jesus's actions and attitudes. And here's Jesus's actions and attitudes. I am personally spending time with non-Christians to help them follow Jesus. I listen to others to learn their story before telling them about my faith. I believe God is for everyone. I feel compassion for people who are not following God and doing immoral things. And so here's the, the results of those. And they asked 20. I only gave you eight. But they asked 20. Ten who have actions and attitudes like Pharisees. Another ten that have actions and attitudes like Jesus. Here were the results of, of that as they polled different people. Here's what's alarming People that have pharisaical, judgmental, hypocritical uh, actions and attitudes, 51%. People in the church, Christians who are more Christ-like in their actions and their attitudes, 14%. Those who have attitudes like Christ and actions like Pharisees, 21%. Those who have actions like Christ but attitudes like Pharisees, 14%. That's the commentary on the church today. We have granola bar on our face. So what are some signs that we might have um, some Pharisee in us. Which, by the way, the contentious Pharisee in many of us, let me just share that, the contentious Pharisee in many of us is killing the mission in the purpose of the church. It's killing it. We're destroying the work of God that God wants to do in the community with, with people, and it's killing it. It's killing the mission. It's the purpose of the church to reach those who are, who are lost, that need to be found. I mean, it's killing it, the Pharisee in many of us. And so what do we do? What are, what are some of the things? How can we identify? Because this is, has a lot to do with the investment with the people that you work with. This has a lot to do with the investment with the people that you do life with, with your own family. This has a lot to do with it. People in, in our culture today, I don't know if you know this or not, but our culture today is post-Christian culture. It's post-Christian culture. We don't live in the Christian culture that may, maybe some of you grew up living in. It's not like that anyway, anywhere out there. It's not. And so the contentious Pharisee in all of us, it's killing the mission. Our opinions, and, and we want to you know, get on our little soapboxes. It's killing the mission and the purpose of the church. So how can we identify? How can we identify some Pharisee in us? All right, so let's just have some awkward fun for a few <laughs> more moments. All right, so Luke 18, Luke 18 um, is a story that Jesus 
tells of a parable between two people who went up to the temple. The temple was um, a, a place at the time, uh, Old Testament place. Um, we have what we now, the church, even though the church is a people, uh, we oftentimes associate it with a building. It's not, it's a people. But they actually had a physical building where they met with God, where they, where they gave their prayers, even though that's not that way anymore. It's a people, not a, not a place. But they had a place. And they went up to Jesus' telling about how two people, he's just given a story, a scenario. It may have happened, maybe it didn't happen, we don't really know, but he gives this scenario. And he says this, and he also told this parable, so this, the parable is a story that Jesus, Jesus often would tell stories, that he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and because they trusted in themselves, because they were righteous, they viewed others with contempt. They viewed others with contempt. Verse 10, then he goes into the parable. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Verse 11, the Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Other people, and he gives some examples, other people that are, you know, swindlers and unjust and people that are, you know, cheat on their spouses, adulterers, or even, and he sort of redirects to the next guy, even like this tax collector. You know how we know that we have some Pharisee that resides within us? It's this kind of attitude that we have when it comes to other People, that we have a, what I call, I'm holier than thou. I'm holier than thou. Now, you know, holier than thou people, they have this kind of Bible like this right here, you know? You know, they have this big old massive Bible and they tote their Bible around, you know, and any chance that they can, you know, they're going to beat somebody over the head with it. Any chance, oh yeah, you want to come up against me? I've got this weapon, you know, we, you know, they're like, it's called a double-edged sword, and so we use it like as a knife to knife people with. This is a holier-than-thou kind of mindset, and that's a Pharisee kind of mindset. I'm better than them. I'm not like other people. I'm better than my coworker. I'm better than my classmate. I'm better than that family member who can't get it together. He's, you know, he's a mess. He's stealing money from his work probably. And he, you know, we just get this, you know, these point fingers, even though we don't have, know these things for facts, but we just say them anyways because we're just judgmental kind of people. I'm holier than thou. And these are the kind of things that people, here's what, holier-than-thou people say, okay? Here's what holier-than-thou people say. They'll come in and they'll be like, oh, man, my back is killing me. And then, I, you know, one of us would be like, oh, why? What, what's happened? What's, what, what's going on? Well, I was, um, you know how it snowed a lot yesterday? You know, I uh, was shoveling all my neighbor's driveways and 
You know, I just, I, you know, I, I mean, I just, I didn't, I just, I had to shovel mine too, but, you know, I just went around and it's just, I just want you to know that I'm shoveling my neighbor's driveways, every one of them, you know, it, you know, and then you're, and you're just like, oh, wow, well, that's, that's great, but you're like, I don't know why you need to, felt the need to tell me that, you know, it's like, well, I just want you to know, or, or, or maybe it's, you know, something like this, it's like, man, I'm, I'm hungry, I am hungry, you know, and, and you'll say, well, why? Why are you hungry? And you'll say, well, you know, I've been fasting since Wednesday. I've been, you know, I just haven't eaten since Wednesday. I, you know, I, I, uh, you know, I just, you know, the Bible tells us that we need to fast. And so I'm just, I'm just hungry, you know, and, and, and you, and we want to let everybody know. Or, or maybe, you know, maybe you're somebody that, you know, just like, you know, um, man, I, I just haven't gotten any sleep. I'm just tired. Oh, why are you tired? Why are you tired? Uh, you know, I got up at 5 a.m. and just got on my knees and started praying. That's why I'm tired. No real reason to tell you that. You know, it's like, even though Jesus said, you know, when you go and do these things, you know. Now, are spiritual disciplines good? Let's just, let's just get on the same page here. Are spiritual disciplines good? Yeah? Do you know what Jesus teaches about them? Like, you don't need to go and advertise. You know who did that? You know who are experts at that? Pharisees. Pharisees wanted everybody to know why their backs were sore. Pharisees wanted everybody to know why they were tired. Pharisees wanted everybody to know why they were hungry. You know, we can go on and on and on to talk about what our, our mindset is, but oftentimes our actions and our attitudes exhibit the wrong motives. Wrong motives. We think that, man, if, I, if somebody else thinks that I'm, you know, special, if somebody else thinks that I'm godly, you know, that's what, I, that's, what, that's what we strive for. You know, we can't wait to tell somebody what great accomplishment we've had. You know, like, man, I just don't have any time. You know, I'm just too busy, you know, meeting needs, serving people. And we just, you know, and the motivation and the actions behind that are, are look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. This is the mindset of a Pharisee. A mindset of a, of a Pharisee is I'm better than them. And the mindset that we have sometimes is, I'm better than you. I'm going to tell you what sort of discipline that I do, and I want to let everybody know about it. It's a holier-than-thou kind of mindset. And you know what the world isn't interested in? They're not interested in your holier-than-thou attitude. They're not interested. They're not impressed and they're not challenged by it they're not convicted by it you know what they're interested in when your attitude and actions are about showing love and showing compassion that's what they're that's what gets their attention it's not about you toting around your your bible and showing people how big your bible is and what you know in it it's not what's going to get people that are lost found are we with me and he says this Jesus said this in Luke 18 he says i in verse 12 i fast twice a week i mean here's this mindset i fast twice a week what is this Pharisee telling us this? I, you know, which is, he's, he's bragging about it, which is the, the law didn't even require them to fast that often. They only had to re- fast, I think, maybe once a month. But this Pharisee's like, I just, want, I just want you to know that I'm better than you. I just want you to know that I have it all together and you don't. 
And I just want you to know that I fast twice a week and I pay tithes of all that I get. Man, I mean, I don't know how many times that people have said that. You know, it's like, man, you know, um, I, you know praise the Lord, Pastor. I got 20% uh, you know, raise at my work. You know, I got an increase at my job. And so, you know, Pastor, I just want you to know I gave, you know, I tied that. I, I tied that, you know. It's like, that's great, but I don't, I, I'm not the one keeping score here. Like, I, I'm, I, ho- I hope you fast, and I hope you tithe, and I hope you, you know, are shoveling your neighbor's driveway, but I don't need to know. Like, it doesn't earn you a better seat in here. And I think for some of us, it's the back row seat. You're like, when do I get to get a back row seat in this? It's like... <laughs> Like, if you're not giving, this is where you have to sit right here. Like, no, I'm not saying anything about it. No, you guys, no, I'm just, this is not an indictment. No, I, don't, I have no idea. I have no idea. At, Juan will tell, I have no idea. I don't look, we don't look, I don't look at what you're doing, what you're tithing, or I don't, I don't even know. I mean, I really am not really paying a whole lot of attention as who's in a group or, or you know, which, which we, we want you to. We think that it's best for you. But if you're just doing it for all the wrong motives and all the wrong attitude and with all the wrong actions behind that, I'm not impressed. I'm not impressed. And we think that, well, I I just want to let the pastor know, you know. Shovel all my neighbor's driveways. (laughs) Haven't eaten since Wednesday. Got up at 5 a.m., But the only one that should matter to a Jesus follower is Jesus. The only one that you should be like, get up early in the morning, you know, and the only reason why you should, you know, give online regularly or write a check regularly or get into a group regularly or serve on a team regularly is because he's watching. I don't care. I, I care, but I, I'm, not, I'm not the one who's determining your blessings. I'm not the one that goes to God and says, hey, you know, you know I don't know if you know this or not, but, you know, you know George Wally, he told me he got up at 5 a.m. and was praying. <laughs> and God's going, really? George Wally, he got up at 5 a.m. and prayed? And God, as if God doesn't know, right? And I'm the one that's informing him because you're telling me as if I'm the one informing him. It's this holier-than-thou mindset and attitude that the world, while they're wandering around, is going, I don't need that. I don't want that self-righteousness. I don't want to be that kind of person. Here, let me give you another one. That was fun for a while. Let me give you another one. So point number two is more people, or, or what, what, what Pharisees in us say, more people need to give voice to Christian values. More people need to give voice to Christian values. And we say things like, doesn't anybody believe in the sanctity of marriage anymore? 
And we say things like, can you believe that they sleep in on Sunday mornings instead of coming to church? Or nowadays, can you believe that they sign their kid up to play sports on Sunday morning instead of coming to church? Or we say things like, you know, I don't you know, man, can you, did you hear that they moved in together? They're not even married and they moved in together. Or we say things like, our government, oh my goodness, if our government, why don't they uphold these biblical values? And we get shocked and offended when they legalize marijuana in our state. More people need to give voice to these Christian values. And I believe, listen, don't, don't misunderstand this. I believe Christians should uphold Christian values. If you're a Christian and you're a Jesus follower, you have signed up, you have given your life to the principles of God. And I would encourage you to follow them. I would encourage you to follow them. But we live in a world of people that did not sign up for the same values that we signed up for and we have no business judging them accordingly. You say, where did you get that from? Two different sources, Paul and Jesus. Here's what Paul said. He says this, for what, do, what have I to do with judging outsiders? Paul said, what, why are we judging outsiders? They didn't sign up for this. They didn't sign up to giving their life for Jesus and to following his value system. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? Now, this is, this is where it's at. Listen, we hear people say like, don't judge, we shouldn't judge. And you've hear, heard this before. Listen, we shouldn't judge outsiders. We shouldn't be all up in arms about our government and what, you know, what is legalized now and what is the sanctity of marriage. You know, like, like of course that's going to happen because we live in a post-Christian world. We live in an un-Christian culture. Of course that's going to happen. But if you're living to the standards that are outside of our biblical values, then you will be judged. And you know what I'm doing right now? I'm judging you. Because it's oftentimes when it comes to Christian values, and I'm judging Christian, because oftentimes when it comes to Christian values, that's the loving Thing to do. You have a granola bar on your face, and I love you enough to tell you to knock it off. Are you with me? Jesus said it this way. Oh, no, no. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, let's finish that, Neva. Thank you, thank you. But those who are outside, who judges? Who judges? That's not your job. That's not my job. My job when it comes to outsiders is to love, not judge. Your job when it comes to outsiders is to love and not judge. 
When you judge, you are taking on the role of God. Ooh, that's dangerous. Ooh, that should make you feel uncomfortable. Because it makes me. God judges, not me. We love. We show compassion. That's what we are called to do. Jesus says this way. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him. <laughs> Jesus? Like Jesus came to this earth. And he's like, here's, here's what I got for you. Here's the best way to live. If you follow me, you're gonna, your life is going to be better and you're going to be better at life. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. We're not here because we should get on our own soapboxes because we have these value systems and we should think and expect that those who are on the outside, those who are unchristian, those who are not church, that we should think that they should live by the same value system. That is faulty thinking. You are here and we exist as the body of Christ to save those who are lost. And the best approach is certainly not, I'm holier than thou. And it certainly isn't, well, I think that everybody, more people, need to give voice to Christian values. Certainly not that. Jesus goes on to say this in verse 48. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. So here he is, Jesus is saying the same thing that Paul is saying. He who rejects me ultimately at the, at the end of the day and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. So there will be a time that will come when those who reject Jesus, they will be judged. But it's not you who should judge. You should forgive. You should love you should give compassion. You know what it's doing when we get on our little soapboxes and we get into these cultural wars over social media? <laughs> Paul never did that. Paul never did that. Do you think Paul condoned slavery? Absolutely not. You know, the backs, the scene of, of, the, of the New Testament is, is a people that were enslaved. But you never saw Paul say like, I, I think that slavery is wrong and those who are, you know, have slaves and those who are masters of people, you know, you know you're, 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 you're wrong and, 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 and I'm judging you. Like Paul never did that. He never got into cultural battles. He just laid his life down for them and they wanted that. You know what the early church, the first century church, which by the way, 21st century church that we live in now is more like first century church ever in, 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 in history, ever in history. First century church, Christianity is, is, is starting to explode. People are getting saved. The church is, is building, and the, but yet the back scene around them is, is pagan. 
It's people that are, don't believe in the same value systems that Christians now believe as Jesus followers. That's the church today. And you know what changed the culture? You know what turns cities upside down? Is when the church simply loved people and didn't judge them because that was God's job to judge. A couple things are happening because of this. Number one, it's ruining the relationship if you even have one with an unchristian. I'll say it that, that way. If you even have a relationship with somebody that isn't a Christian, it's ruining the relationship. Number two, it's an awful outreach approach. If you're trying to invest in people, it's an awful outreach approach. Number three, it's un-Jesus-like. It's un-Jesus-like. The early church, rather than fight their non-Christian counterparts, they laid down their life for them. Rather than fight their non-Christian counterparts, they laid down their life for them. Third thing is, and let me read verse 13 in Luke 18. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The second, or the, excuse me, the third thing is, is that when we... Um, you shouldn't hang around with people like that. That's the third thing. You shouldn't hang around with people like that. And this is essentially what the Pharisee is saying to the tax collector, to the, you know, to, off to the, you know, away from him. He's saying, listen, we, we shouldn't be hanging around with people like that. You know what Jesus was oftentimes criticized for? Hanging around with people like that. Oh, you shouldn't be spending time with people like that. Oh, really? Jesus spent time with people like that. One of his own disciples was a tax collector. Tax collectors were the worst of the worst. They were betrayed their own people, extorted money from their own people, lied, cheated, got rich because of it. Jesus hung around with people like that. Chief tax collectors, a guy by the name of Zacchaeus, guy hanging from the sycamore tree, from those of you in Sunday school days, right? Jesus is teaching to some people. Here comes Zacchaeus hanging in the sycamore tree. And Jesus says, hey, Zacchaeus, come on down. And then Zacchaeus is like, who, me? Me, chief tax collector? Like, on top of the pyramid scheme, like, I'm on top, and everybody else is working under me. Matthew, one of them. And, and Zacchaeus is like, yeah, me, me, me. And Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, you. Hey, hey, guess what, Zacchaeus? Let's go to your house right now. You want to go to my house? And by the way, there's a crowd of people that are going, where, where is Jesus going? Is he really following this chief tax collector, this number one extortioner, the guy who's stealing all of our money and getting rich fast scheme guy. Wait, Jesus is going back. Maybe he's going to sign up for that. And Jesus didn't tell 
everybody what he was doing. As a matter of fact, he told no one what he was doing. Wouldn't it be nice in scripture if every once in a while we see that either Matthew, Mark, or Luke write down and Jesus turned around and said, I'm gonna go witness to him. Wouldn't that have been nice? I'm gonna go and just try to share our values with, like he didn't do that. He's like, see you later, crowd. I'm going with this guy back to his house. And you know what happened? This guy's life was transformed. Why? Because he met a loving, compassionate, forgiving, gracious, merciful Jesus. Jesus was invited over to uh, these, this Pharisee's house. These Pharisees had a party, and Jesus wouldn't just go to tax collectors' houses. Jesus would go to Pharisees' houses because Jesus saw people in one of two ways, lost or found, lost or found. He even thought that there were Pharisees, religious people, who were still lost. And so Jesus is like, if I'm going to go to a tax collector's house because they're lost, I'm going to go to a Pharisee's house because they're lost too. And so Jesus went to this Pharisee's house. This Pharisee had a big old party. And back then, whenever he had big old parties, anybody was welcome to kind of come in and out, you know. But Jesus was given a spot at the table with this Pharisee at his house. And while Jesus is, you know, laying down, and basically how that works at that time is they just had these flat tables and they would lay down and they would rest on one of their elbows and their feet would hang out away from the table because, you know, their feet were dirty and they stank and they were trying to keep them as far away from the table and the food as possible, you know. And that's why you see in Scripture that some people wash feet and Jesus was one of those people. It was a sign to the lowliest of servant to wash people's feet because their feet were gross. But Jesus is sitting, laying on his one arm at this table, having a conversation with the Pharisee and probably his Pharisee friends. And in comes, they call, the scripture calls her the, a woman of the city. A woman of the city. And you can imagine what that term means, woman of the city. And she comes close and gets herself right up next to Jesus. And immediately as she draws herself close to him at his feet, she begins to weep. And the word weep there is a wailing, like she just felt the weight of her guilt and her shame and her sin, and she's just as weeping to the point of describing it as like rain. It was that's how it was described. It was just rain, and so this these tears are falling off of her face onto his feet, and these tears from this woman are removing the dirt from Jesus's feet, and she decides, which was an un imaginable thing, a almost, and it was a shameful thing. I know it's hard to understand this in, in our culture today, but in that culture, she takes down her hair. Women never took down their hair. It was, a, it was a, an immoral thing. It was a shameful thing. And so she, while she's weeping at Jesus's feet, her hair is hanging down and she's using her hair to wipe off the tears and to wash the feet of Jesus. 
And then she takes this perfume that she brought with her and she takes this expensive perfume and she begins to pour it on Jesus' feet and all the while Jesus is just letting her do this. This woman of the city letting her do this. And she begins to kiss his feet. You know what the way that that was described? The way that it says that she was kissing his feet was a description of when somebody is getting ready to go on a long journey. And, you, and how you kiss somebody when they're getting ready to be gone for a long time. Or when somebody has been gone a long time and they return and you haven't seen them forever. That's a kind of passionate affectionate kiss that she was doing on Jesus's feet. He is in the house of a Pharisee and a prostitute is all over him. And all he does is love her. And all he does is shows compassion to her. And he forgives How awkward it must have felt in that room. And the Pharisees are thinking to themselves, he is no prophet because if he knew who that woman was, he never would have allowed her to do that. But he certainly knew who that woman was. And he showed compassion to her and kindness to her, and grace to her. What would it be like if that happened to you? What would you react? How would you treat someone? And what would you think if something like that happened to somebody who says they're a Christian and they've received somebody like that? How would you feel in that moment, would you respond the same way that Jesus responded? This is something to ask ourselves, don't you think? And we need to stop saying, ah, oh, you know, we shouldn't hang around with those people. No, we might need to start hanging around with some people and investing in people and loving people to give us the best chance of reaching people for Jesus. Because that's what Jesus did. I didn't come here to judge. I came here to save. To save. There's a last part here that was baffling to me. And I'm going to do my best to explain it in a way that I think God is saying here and what Jesus was saying here. Same context of the parable, but it takes an interesting turn. Verse 15. And they were bringing even their babies to him so that he would touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they began rebuking them. 
So the disciples are seeing people trying to get their, their children to Jesus, and, and, and the disciples are going, no, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. You can't do that. Don't bring your children close to him. And the disciples are thinking that they're doing Jesus a favor, and they're trying to keep the babies, the children away. And then look what it says in verse 16. But Jesus called for them, saying, permit the children to come to me. And do not hinder them, for, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. That Jesus was saying, listen, here's the way that he, I think that he's laying this out in this. He's saying, listen, disciples, you're, you know what you're acting like? You're acting like the Pharisees. And there are like some people, and, 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 if, and, and I don't, I'm not trying to insult, but I think that Jesus has given an analogy here, that I think that the unchurched or the non-Christian is like children. And they're trying to figure out, you know, life. And that just like our children, they need direction and they need guidance and they need help. And, 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 and Jesus is saying, listen, disciples, knock it off. Disciples. Quit being a hindrance to people trying to get to me. Disciples, get out of the way so that people can come to me. There should be an easy path to me, Jesus is saying. It should be something that people just know that they can come without any obstacles getting in the way. And you know who the obstacles were in this? The disciples were the obstacles. And Jesus is saying, guys, knock it off. Get out of the way so that people can come to me. I learned a little bit this week, and again, here I am now sounding like I'm holier than thou, but I'm not, okay? So I'm just going to call myself out on it, and that's not what I'm doing, but I just, so Wednesday night after the granola bar experience, I came home, and uh, it was me and my five-year-old sitting at our table. Uh, the other kids were doing other things. My wife was helping him with the, helping the other kids, and I was continuing a conversation that I started with him before Awana. And that was about him receiving Jesus into his, into his heart, like asking Jesus to come into his heart. So I took the, I tried to take the opportunity when it was just him and I, I felt like he was, like he was talking about his Awana stuff, so I thought I had him in the, in the right mood because it could go anywhere fast. I mean, we could talk about, I mean, it could just go like, where are my Legos? You know, where are my superheroes? What's on YouTube Kids? You know, like it could just go in any, any direction. So I'm asking him, hey, Andrew, have you, Ask Jesus into your heart. Have you, have you asked Jesus? Is it is you know? And he's like, um, well, um, I talked to Jesus, and you know, um, you know, he just didn't really know how to answer it. And my wife comes down the hallway, and she sees that I'm engaging, and she just ducks it into one of the rooms. Like, she's, like, realizing that, her, you know, him and I are having this conversation about Jesus, and she just, just, I mean, I, I mean, she was like, I was just, I was pointing a gun at her. Like, she, <laughs> she just dove into one of the bedrooms, and, and, and I know why she did that. She goes, because I didn't want to get in the way of what was happening there. 
Because when my wife comes in the room, for me, I'm like Jojo the idiot circus boy dad. Like, like my kids are like, dad, just make me laugh. But when my wife comes in the room, they're like, mom, we need something. Like, take care of us. Don't let us die. Like, that's my, that's my wife's role. And I'm just like, dad, make me laugh. And that's my role. Like, I like my role. And so... And so she knew that if she came into the room that he would like, mom, give me goldfish or do this or that or like, and, and she just didn't want to get in the way of that. She didn't want to get in the way of this, of this sensitive, delicate, it can, his mind could go anywhere, any direction, and she just didn't want to be a hindrance to what maybe God wanted to do in that moment. Church. That's the way that we need to see those who might be far from God. That we need to be delicate and sensitive and just aware of any potential obstacles or hindrances to them coming to Jesus. We need to learn to get out of the way of that in creating a wide open path without any hindrances for people to receive the greatest gift in the world, Jesus. Are you with me? Because we have no chance if we don't think that way. We have no chance. You've got a granola bar on your face. Knock it off. Knock it off. And I'm telling you, because I love you, and I'm not done yet with this, you've got to come back next week if you're willing. If you're willing. Let's pray. Father, there's a Pharisee in every one of us. There's something in all of us that are not being helpful to people coming to you, but instead we're being a hindrance. God, help us to recognize that. Help us to see that there are attitudes and actions in us, biases and experiences and misconceptions, judgments, self-righteousness that's just getting in the way of letting people come to you and to find themselves at your feet and to receive only love and grace and compassion and forgiveness so that every person that we know can walk away and experience what we experience and that is the peace of being in relationship with you and the joy of knowing you and where we're going to spend eternity. God, help us, help us every single day to keep in check and to be more like you and less self-righteous. In Jesus' name, amen.